0: Good evening, great to be here with you again. Uh, always enjoy visiting the congregation here. Uh, enjoyed the songs that were led and uh, the great messages contained therein. And if you're ever in Murfreesboro, come by the Westview congregation. We'd love to have you visit with us. Uh, one word that a lot of times we talk about, and but if you were to get a Bible concordance and look it up, you wouldn't find it, is the word attitude. Uh, it has a lot to do with our uh, success as a Christian is our attitude. There's a lot of things that, that uh, dictate how we respond to situations, and it all boils down to attitude. But yet you don't find the word <clears throat> attitude in the scriptures. But if you were to try to find a word that uh, most aptly describes it in the Bible, it's the word heart. And the passage that was just read a moment ago by the good brother, I'm going to read it again. <clears throat> and he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, and fornications and murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. And so we see that it's very similar to the concept. What goes in is what comes out. And that's the way it works in the computer world. What goes in is what comes out. Well, the same is true with us spiritually. What goes into our heart is what comes out in our life. And so if we can work on Our attitudes, our heart, it's going to benefit us in what, in the manner that we live, the way that we live, in our manner of life. Uh, Back uh, several years ago, there was a uh, hairstylist convention uh, down in Atlanta. And they thought as good PR, a way of uh, getting some attention to themselves, that they would take a homeless man and they would uh, clean him up. They'd give him a nice haircut, a shave, and put some nice clothes on him. And then on top of that, they thought, well, what we'll do is we'll get him a job. And this will be good uh, publicity for our organization, and it'll be good for this man, and it it just shows that we are interested in the community. So they did that, they found a man, they did all those things, they cleaned him up, dressed him up, uh, gave him a haircut, gave him a shave, and he looked like a totally different man. And then the day came where he was to show up for his job. He was supposed to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. They were there with, with cameras, and, and uh, the news. local news was going to cover it, and the man didn't show up. And they thought, well, maybe he got held up in traffic. Well, time went on, 9 o'clock, still wasn't there. 10 o'clock, still wasn't there. So they decided to go out and look for him and and they found him back in an alley. He had sold his suit and his shoes and with that money he had found uh, some alcohol and he was completely drunk. Now the lesson to that is is that you can't change a man on the outside, you have to change him on the inside. And that's one thing that Jesus teaches is there are attitudes that we need to have and that will cause us to live in a way that will be very fruitful and very glorifying to God. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter. We're going to read uh, what we call the B attitudes, And I want to look at these tonight and of course, because there's quite a few of them, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on any one of them. But I think there are some great attitudes here that That really, uh, in a lot of ways, describe the divine nature. What it's like to be like God. And so verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to stop right there and just read as we go. And the very first one that he mentions here is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, he doesn't say here, blessed are the poor. There's no particular blessing in being poor. Uh, a person can be poor and, and really seek God, and, and it can draw him to God. He can feel like that, that he has to lean on God for his support and his needs. On the other hand, a person can be poor, and the way he addresses that is by stealing and shoplifting and those kind of things. So poverty is not a virtue within itself. But he doesn't say you're blessed are the poor. He said blessed are the poor in spirit. Now this is a totally different mindset. And what he's talking about is really the idea of humility. A person who views themselves as being poor in spirit. This word poor In the original language is the very same word that is used in Luke chapter, uh, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 16 and in verse uh, 29 where it's talking about the the rich man and Lazarus. And it, it talks about Lazarus as being a beggar. He says he was a beggar. Well, that word beggar is the same word that's translated poor here. Now, what does it mean here to be poor in spirit? Well, it means that we are literally beggars for the grace and mercy of God. Because we see ourselves as completely dependent upon God's grace. Now, beggars back in these days were people that were totally dependent on the charity of others. They were usually blind or lame they had the no ability to work and so they depended upon the generosity of others to help them because they were basically infirm they could not work and so a beggar was a person who was dependent he really depended upon others well spiritually we depend upon God that way because we can't stand before God and say well look I'm I've done so many good things and I live so righteously that I stand justified in your sight. They just don't work. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin are death. On our own merit, on our own standing, we are found guilty Without the blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus gave a little parable over in Luke, the seventh chapter, as he was visiting the home of one that was referred to as Simon the Pharisee. And he said in Luke chapter seven, in verse 41, he said there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him uh, 500 denarii. Uh, In other words, that's about 500 days wages And the other owed 50. So he owed about 50 days wages. And notice this next phrase here. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him more. Now Jesus here is describing two different individuals. One that we might say is a habitual constant sinner I mean he lives a life of just perpetual sin there's no restraints and he's a great sinner he has a, a huge debt with God and then on the other hand you have one that's pictured here that that doesn't sin as much but he still has sin but nevertheless whether it be the man that that owed 50, days wages, or whether it be the man who owed 500 days wages, he says neither one could pay. Neither one of them. Now that, my friends, is a picture of the human condition, is that no matter who you are, and no matter how good you may try to live, and we ought to, we cannot pay there's only one thing that could pay and that was the blood of Jesus Christ and so when we look at ourselves in that light that we are spiritual beggars we are begging God because we know we are totally dependent upon him for forgiveness then it makes us view others in a different light don't it? because if I'm a beggar I certainly don't have any right to look over to this fellow over here and say, well, look at that guy over there. No, it makes me realize that he is a beggar just like I'm a beggar. And so that's what the very first attitude I'll look at here is that of being humble and viewing ourselves completely beggars in the sight of God and it makes us view others with a lot more sympathy and a lot more uh, mercy. And then secondly, notice there in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. Now, obviously, we all, uh, as humans, we, we face times where we mourn uh, someone that we uh, are close to, someone we love, someone that uh, is very dear to us, passes away, and, and it's a time of grief, a time of mourning, and uh, it's very difficult. Jesus, however, is talking more about that. He's talking more than just that. Jesus is talking about those who mourn in a spiritual way. Those who realize that they have so sinned against God that they are full of remorse. Now, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, talks about godly sorrow. That godly sorrow leads me to repentance. But this, the sorrow of the world does not. Now what is the sorrow of the world? Well, the sorrow of the world is usually when someone gets caught. You may see some celebrity or some politician and, and there's some scandal that, that is unveiled and, and light is shed on it and, and the person realizes, hey, I've been caught, and so they'll, they might get up and make a, uh, an apology and act like they're just very, very sorry. Well, they're really sorry that they got caught. Not that they did it so much, but they got got caught at it. Now, that's the sorrow of this world. But a godly sorrow is a sorrow where one mourns because they have sinned against their Father in heaven. Uh, The Apostle Peter was warned as before Jesus died, he warned Peter that he would deny him three times. And Peter said, oh, no, not me, Lord. I won't do that. I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. And he made that boast. But within 24 hours, not even that long, he had denied the Lord three times. The Bible says when he denied the Lord the third time and the rooster crowed, that Simon, uh, Peter looked at Jesus and Jesus turned and looked at him. He looked at him. This is found in Luke's account of it. That he looked at him. Here can you imagine after having made that boast that you would be loyal and would, deny, would not deny the Lord and now you've done it and then he turns around and looks at, it, at you eye to eye. How would you feel about that? feel kind of ashamed of yourself, wouldn't you? The Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now that's the type of mourning I'm talking about. He wasn't sorrowful because he got caught. But rather he was sorrowful because he had denied his Lord three times and he was ashamed of that. This idea here of mourning and the, the word that was used concerning Peter as he went out and went bitterly, it, it's talking about someone who is sobbing uncontrollably. And you've seen someone at a funeral, perhaps, that, that just were so uncontrollable. They're, they're, they're weeping, they're crying, and, and uh, the whole body's shaking. And, and that's the type of uh, weeping that, that Peter did. And, and it was a deep mourning for what he had done. And this is the type of attitude that that leads men to repentance. And so Jesus here says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, notice there in verse 5. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, normally when you hear the word meek, you normally think of someone who's kind of uh, timid, someone who kind of cowers back, uh, Maybe he's uh, afraid. That's what people think of when they hear the word meek. But the word meekness has nothing to do with weakness. Matter of fact, it, it has the very opposite meaning. The Bible says in Numbers 12, verse 3, that Moses was the meekest man upon the earth. We don't think of Moses as being weak. Moses was very strong. And when he left and fled Egypt and he went to Midian, he came there to a well where the daughters of Midian were. And there were some shepherds there that that were harassing them, uh, I guess trying to drive them away from the well. The Bible says that Moses stood up to those shepherds. Now, it was shepherds, plural. I don't know how many there were. may have been several. Moses, one man, stood up against those shepherds. Moses was not a weak man whatsoever. He was very strong. This word meek here means power that is under control. That's what it means in the original language. Uh, Many times, it was used by the ancient writers to refer to someone who had broken in a wild horse. So, uh, you know, we've seen that. Maybe you watch old westerns and there's cowboys that get out and they ride the horses and and these wild horses they're able to be tamed you can put a saddle and a bridle upon them and ride them and and they will obey your commands well that's the idea behind this word meekness it means power that is under control and so when a, when a person is meek he's not a person who is weak but rather he is a person who channels his energy and his power in the way that his master wants him to just like a horse a horse when he has been broken in is just as powerful as ever But now his will is under the control of his master the one who's riding him that's the idea behind meekness that meekness is something in which we Take God's word, he tells us what we need to do. We listen to his commands through the scriptures, and instead of trying to argue against it, instead of trying to reason against it, what we do is say, yes, Lord, your servant here. And we're ready to obey. And the Bible tells us in the book of James, James chapter 1, and, and this really is a great description of what meekness is, where he says in verse 21, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive, notice, with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But be doers the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now notice here, there's a couple of words I want to look at here. Verse 21, he says, receive with meekness. Now, that word receive is an interesting word because it, it carries the idea of welcoming. Now, we can go to the mailbox and we may receive a bill. Maybe maybe be your utility bill or maybe some credit card bill or something you've received. And you don't necessarily welcome that. As a matter of fact, you just have to uh, drudgingly take it and pay it. Nobody looks forward to receiving a bill. But this word has, carries with it the idea of welcoming it not just receiving it but welcoming it. its the idea of warning it and desiring it and he says here he that receiveth welcomes the word with meekness that's the attitude that he's talking about here with meekness is someone who invites the word who welcomes the word who is eager and willing to change and to take the yoke of the word and allow it to to control us. It would be very similar to the imagery we sing of in the hymn, uh, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, where he says, thou art the potter and I am the clay. Mold me and make me according to your will. Just like the, the potter forms the vessel with his hand as it's turning on the wheel, the clay is completely subject to its creator. To the hands of its creator. That's the idea behind meekness. Is allowing God to shape us and form us. And then notice there next in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Now this term here, hunger and thirst. uh, Is a term that describes an extreme hunger and thirst. You may have seen some videos of of these young people that live over in Africa that, that are in a famine type of land. A lot of times their bodies are disfigured from the hunger and their lips are literally dry and cracked. A lack of water and nutrition and they're, they it's just a picture there of just utter devastation of humanity because of hunger. It's it's pitiful to look at. And while people try to send aid to those places, a lot of times the governments are so corrupt that they hoard the food for their armies to keep the army on their side. And a lot of that food never gets down to the citizens. And it's an atrocity. But nevertheless, that's the idea behind hungering and thirsting for righteousness, having that appetite that desire to do what is right. Now, first of all, we need to have the hunger and thirst for the word of God. Uh, that's something that is normal in the human body. We, if we're gonna grow, we have got to have an appetite, especially as one's young and they're growing up and their bones and muscles and their body is growing and developing. They need uh, nutrients, they need food, and they desire food, and they'll eat a lot of food. And that's normal. And the Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 5 that some of those that he wrote to should have already been teachers, but they were having to be once again retaught, the first principles of the gospel. And they were still drinking milk. And he said, you should have moved on to strong meat. And I love the phrase that is used there in Hebrews uh, chapter 5, right toward the end of that chapter. He says, but solid food belongs, this is in verse 14, solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What he's talking about there is is having an appetite for the word of God is necessary, but it is not an end to itself. We don't read and study the Bible just so that we'll just know it. We do that so that we will exercise it. We will use it. And as we study the word and, and we are encouraged by the word and motivated by the word and we we receive the word with meekness, we have to put that into use. You know, a, a child growing up that doesn't get exercise, his body doesn't develop like it ought to. He may eat a lot of food, but sometimes, and the problem is, is that Some overeat and they don't exercise and and they become overweight and uh, that's not good. And so you need the exercise. You need to be able to to, uh, work your physical body, but likewise, spiritually, you need to take the word of God and put it into practice. And that gives you the ability to discern between good and evil. There's a lot of Christians that don't have that ability to discern. That means to be able to decide or make a judgment as to what is right or wrong. One reason is because they never put it into practice. And so hungering and thirsting is not only a strong desire for the word of God, but a strong desire to live it. And then he says there in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy. Now, mercy is, uh, I guess, the opposite of justice, isn't it? Most people are pretty comfortable with justice. A lot of times we, we go around and say, well, I want justice. And you hear people say, well, well, I demand justice. Well, I know one thing when we stand before God, we don't want justice, do we? I don't. I'm kind of reminded of a story about Robert E. Lee. There was a certain man that was in his uh, regiment of sol- soldiers that he commanded that had broken some of the rules. And he was brought before General Lee, and you could tell he was just scared to death. He was kind of trembling. Uh, he knew that he was about to be punished, and, and uh, General Lee said, hey, young man, settle down. You'll get justice here. And the man said, I, that's exactly what I'm afraid of that's what justice is but the opposite of that is mercy now Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 7 a couple of chapters over about judging now judging in and of itself is not wrong, the Bible, Jesus said uh, to not judge according to appearance but to judge righteous judgment in other words be fair and objective usually when we make judgments towards others, a lot of times, number one, we are harsher on other people than we are ourselves. We look at ourselves with rose-tinted glasses and we see the errors of other stand out more than our own errors. Secondly, we don't have all the facts and when we judge according to appearance, a lot of times we make a mistaken judgment. Brother Robert Jackson, I'm sure some of you remember him. Uh, he used to, he told me one time he was out uh, in his yard and, and just like a lot of yards are, people toss a lot of bottles and cans and things out in his yard and he had like some uh, uh, coveralls on, you know, work clothes. And he was going out picking up the, the bottles and cans out in the front of his yard and there was like three or four beer bottles and he just stuck them in his pockets. And about that time, one of the brethren pulled in, and and he walked out to him, and he had these beer bottles just hanging out. And, and luckily, the guy didn't. Uh, he made, you know just made a joke out of it. But some people could have judged according to appearance, and said, well, you know, he must be a drunker. He's a heavy drinker. Did you y'all? You see all those bottles sticking out of his pocket? Well, that's the type of judgment that Jesus is talking about here, in. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 Judge not that you be not judged for with what judgment you judge you will be judged and with the same manner or the same measure you use it will be measured back to you and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and not consider the plank in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me remove the speck out of your eye and look A plank is in your own eye. Now Jesus here is using hyperbole but we can imagine you know a little speck in your eye you know you have to walk up close and pull the eye apart and you know maybe roll your eye around and someone might say oh there it is Uh, I can get it and they get it out of your eye but you can't see that from a distance Uh, you can't see it unless you get right up on it so So in other words, there are some people who look at others with a microscope. They're trying to find something, anything, to make a judgmental statement against them. And yet, they have a big old plank out hanging out of their eye, and that, of course, is an exaggeration. Something that can be seen from quite a distance. And that's a person who... Is seeking justice for others But they wouldn't want justice for themselves Jesus says if you show mercy to others You'll receive mercy But if you show justice to others You're going to receive justice Like I said I don't want to receive justice And then he goes on to further say here in Matthew chapter 5 Blessed are the pure in heart For they shall see God Now, purity is something that definitely uh, we need in the church. The church needs to be pure. We need to be like God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16, God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the pattern that we should try to live by, is to be holy like God. The word holiness means to be completely set apart from sin so we need purity in the church there was a man who bought him a brand new boat put it out in his driveway and uh... he'd get out there every day and polish it and keep it all shiny and nice and uh, his neighbor would get out and kind of see him out there polishing it and this went on for weeks and then months and and the, the neighbor finally Asked him, he said, well, I notice you keep this awfully clean, but I've never seen it where you've taken it anywhere. And he said, oh, I'm not taking my beautiful, clean boat to the lake. I'm afraid it'll it'll make it, it'll ruin the shine if I do that. And the guy said, well, hey, that's what it's made for. The boat is made to go into the water. What's going to hurt your boat is if the water goes into the boat. And that's the way it is with the church. The church is made to go into the world. We need to li- we live in the world. But What harms us is when the world gets into the church. You know, there's always a way in which the world has a way of penetrating itself into the church. And, of course, it's the work of the elders and the leaders and the preacher to constantly be aware of those things and, and try to... Expunge it before it becomes a problem. Because, uh, you know, it's easy sometimes for the leaders of the church to to go to basically go to sleep. Be completely unaware of, of the things that are threatening the congregation. And before you know it, Satan has got a foothold in the congregation. And it will spread like leaven sometimes. So again, pure in heart. Jesus is demanding that. And then in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, I want you to notice here, Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace lovers. You know, a peace lover can be a person who is, tries to avoid conflict, doesn't want to confront things that need to be confronted. You know, uh, Sometimes there's necessity to have a conflict, to have, to have to face something head on. And Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace lovers. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace, ma- uh, the peace keepers. He didn't say that. Because you can have a congregation where you have a, a brother on this side and a brother on that side of the building who just can't stand each other. They, they won't speak. They have grudges against each other. There's something that went on years ago, and they're still just as mad about it as ever. And one will wait till the other one goes out the door, and then when that person leaves, then he'll leave. And that way, he won't have to, in any way, have to speak to him or even come near him. Now, they keep the peace. But is that right? It's not right, is it? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And the peacemakers are people who uh, are willing to take or make an effort to make peace. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. And notice what Jesus was willing to do. In verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in his flesh, the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, two, thus making peace. Now there was enmity. That means there was division between God and man, but also between Jew and Gentile. And there was only one way in which there would be a unity, a bringing together of the two sides, and that was by Jesus dying on the cross. What was Jesus willing to do to make peace? He's willing to die on the cross. And so for us to be peacemakers, we must be a person, first of all, who will put away the grudge. The Bible says in James 5 verse 9, Grudge not one against another, lest ye be condemned. Again, another story about uh, General Robert E. Lee. After the Civil War, he lived in Lexington, Virginia. And he had a neighbor, a lady that lived next to him, and, and she had a tree that was in her yard that had just got blown up to pieces. It was a beautiful oak. At One time, just uh, it was decades old, maybe even cent- a century old. And after the war, it had got obliterated by cannon shot. And she came out and saw General Lee in the yard one day and she said, look here what them Yankees did. Look what they did to my beautiful tree. And Robert E. Lee said, cut it down and forget about it. That's some of the best advice I've ever heard. We need to do that a lot of times with grudges and hard feelings. Some people like to hold on to some hard feelings. It's like an old dog with an old bone. They just don't want to let it go. They just keep chewing on it and chewing on it. And they love stewing on it. They love to have that grudge in their heart. And it appeals to the flesh. We need to cut it down and forget about it. And then Jesus said if someone has ought against you, Matthew chapter 18, you go to that person. You seek to reconcile yourself to that brother matter of fact, Matthew five, a little later, he says, "Before you go to the altar to sacrifice, you seek reconciliation with your brother and then come and offer your sacrifice. This is something God expects and demands of Christians, that they be peacemakers, that they seek reconciliation. And then last of all and quickly, number uh, verse 10, "Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this is a person who obviously has learned endurance. He's learned to endure the provocation of those who hate Christ and they understand that if you're going to be identified with Christ you're going to suffer with Christ. You're going to suffer for his name and you had better learn to endure that. Paul and I say Paul, but the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 says this. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Look what Jesus had to deal with. Look at the hatred he dealt with. But how did Jesus handle it? Jesus didn't revile. He didn't threaten. He didn't seek revenge and to get equal. But rather, if you look in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus and what he did, he says, For to this, verse 21, you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously but what did Jesus do when he suffered you know there there is no record at all where Jesus ever said one word to his tormentors he endured it but here this verse verse 23 of 1 Peter chapter 2 says that he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously you know what that means he says i'm going to leave it in god's hands there're going to be times we're going to suffer and it may be in a minor way it may in the way that our nation is going now with with a lot of the hatred toward christianity and and the stance that the church has against certain sins that we may and we could be in prison for standing up For truth, And that could happen very easily in the next few years. They could call the Bible a hate book. And anybody who preaches it could be put in jail. You never know what could happen. Well, it's amazing what all has happened the last few years in this country. But Jesus handled it by saying, I'm going to leave it in God's hands. God will settle the score. The judge of all the earth shall do right. Now, I haven't talked about salvation tonight, but if you're here this evening as one who's not a Christian, uh, I hope you at least have an attitude of being willing to listen to God's Word and that you'll want to not only hear it, but obey it. There are so many blessings being in Christ, but the most important blessing is, is that of being able to stand before God in judgment, Christ in judgment, and know that you are completely free and clear of all sins because you've been baptized into his blood and you have that opportunity tonight the waters are ready there are those here who are ready to baptize you if you are so inclined to give your heart to the Lord we beg you to come while we stand and while we sing